Mrs. Carmichael was attacked by her neighbor's pig. I sent Fred to answer the call. Helen, do you read me? This pig is insane. Fred, this is McCord. Now I'm ordering you to pull yourself together and interdict that pig. <laughs> That's how you command. You want me to do what to the pig? <laughs> My name is Stuart. I'm Joe. I'm Chris. We are here tonight to talk about 1991 pilot acting sheriff. We have our resident Westerns expert, Chris, back. Hello, hello. Because we thought this was going to be literally the exact same plot as Pistol Pete. It certainly starts out that way. But it turns more into a night court. Yes, (laughs) absolutely. There's a reason for that. What were you guys' first impressions of acting sheriff? So my first impression actually was Night Court. Really? Uh, And I didn't know the history. I didn't know anything about the people involved. And this was with me watching maybe two minutes of it. Because when Joe sent me the link and asked if I wanted to come on and talk about it, I didn't have time to watch it. But I just watched maybe a minute, two minutes. And I just thought, this has a whiff of Night Court about it. Uh Uh-huh. And then I watched it, and I also thought, yeah, kind of a Night Court vibe. And then upon reading about it, of course, the two writers, producers of this pilot were heavily involved in Night Court. I did not realize that. Not only that, but the creator of Night Court also, the show that he created before Night Court was uh, Barney Miller. Oh. A show that I have never watched yeah i've not seen that show never been so bored that i needed to watch barney miller but this definitely would have benefited from the presence of a bagoda <laughs> yeah honestly i when i think about the differences between this show and night court is that night court has great character actors you've got john larroquette you've got harry what's his name the main judge harry dean anderson not harry dean anderson <laughs> <laughs> and um you know the guy plays Bull. Richard, Richard Mole. And, and there's other talented people on there, too. And so they're just kind of batting it back and forth. Whereas this show has, uh, you know, a couple of halfway decent performances, I would say, by the other characters. Maybe. I, I kind of like the older lady who works in the office. She's the MVP. Yeah. And the younger policewoman is pretty good. And she actually, at the same time that she shot this show, became a recurring character on that show, Northern Exposure, apparently as a police officer. Her IMDb is extensive. She has like over 129 credits and a lot of them are recurring roles on sitcoms and stuff. Yeah. And police officers too, apparently, even on recent shows. She has that stern authoritarian look. Most of the people on the show are still working, which was kind of surprising. I wanted to quickly read this clip from Variety. This was just a little bit of the review. The pilot featured the arrival of newly elected Sheriff Brent McCord, played by Robert Goulet, apparently as a goof on Ronald Reagan by way of Ted Baxter. He's a trigger-happy ACLU-bashing boob whose disregard for the law is equaled only by his vanity. And then it goes on to compare it unfavorably to a night court just like we were doing, basically make the same point that Night Court is full of talented character actors and this is not. I would say Robert Goulet might be the best part of this just because I feel like he really brought his A game. Absolutely. He's fucking phenomenal. I mean, everything he says, just his fucking voice is hilarious. There it is, Mike. Can you hear it? Hear what? The terrible swift sword of justice. It's singing a new song as it rises in the east, and the name on its lips is Brent McCord. (laughs) 
he does such an amazing job at playing like God's own perfect idiot. He seems like he's just playing Ronald Reagan. I was curious to see if any of the people, because a lot of times when you have a show that's like so close to another show, a lot of the they have a lot of crossover with actors. But there was only one actor that had been on a Night Court episode, and it's Mike McCannis, who is Fred. And you only hear him on the police radio wrestling with a pig. Okay, I actually kind of liked that a little bit. Um, I can't say I liked a lot of the jokes on this show, but they heightened it by, by getting the pig noises in there. There was a lot of phone humor in this. Hello, Amos. This is Mike Swanson. I'm fine, thanks. Now, uh, Amos, we had another complaint from a neighbor. I, I don't care if it scares the crows away. You can't stand out in your cornfield naked. <laughs> Yeah, it's a fun recurring gag. All the action happens somewhere else. Like it, it, the whole show takes place in like two and a half sets. Yeah, the police station and the hallway next to it, and then the nightclub at the end. I think was was there anything else? I counted the police station, which is arguably one big set. Yeah, it has the main hall, the hallway, and the sheriff's enormous office, and then we get like a few seconds of a bar at the. End. Yeah. A very dark bar, at least on the copy that I was watching. Oh, but but what I wanted to mention about Michael McCannis, who was playing Fred on the radio. Yeah. On Night Court, he played a character named VHK-937 on Season 7, Episode 14. And this is the summary of that episode. A man claiming to be from the future and armed with a working laser takes the courtroom hostage while two street punks are holding Dan. Bull tries the whole range of remedies to get rid of his hiccups. <laughs> is Night Court not the best show ever? So I was tempted to rewatch it, but I did not take that opportunity. But I, it would be curious to see how it holds up against uh, this show. Night Court? Have you seen it recently? <laughs> God, classic sitcom. You know, it's been a long time, but I feel like it would probably hold up pretty well. It is ludicrous. I just think the, all the characters on Night Court are so strong and hilarious. Yeah. I, I feel like it would still be pretty funny. Yeah. One thing that I wonder is that made me think about Night Court and it holding up was in this show, the subplot of the deputy wanting to flirt with the assistant DA woman is very sexual harassy. And I know that there was some of that in Night Court as well with John Larroquette, I think maybe he was always flirting with some other woman and their coworkers or colleagues. And it's funny because, yeah, that was just part and parcel of sitcom humor and the joke isn't that he's a creep for doing it it's that she won't give him a chance yeah she just brushes off his advances say donna you're looking really good today is that a new outfit not now <laughs> her lips said no but her back said maybe damn on night court was lecherous um and constantly chasing women i mean like he was disgusting like i do not think that character would work today would, would it surprise you to know that he was exactly the same way on the john larroquette show i think that's just who he that's his character type yeah it's just who he is but i guess it sounds like in some ways in that show they're making a point of it and it is kind of his flaw it's not seen as a noble thing it, in this show you're just supposed to sympathize with the deputy he can't get a break yeah it just kind of happened and he just kind of goes eh, oh well let's really quick let's just summarize the plot here a plot is a has-been actor played by robert goulet who was mostly known i think for playing westerns sure gets elected sheriff in a small rural county in southern california and this is like the first two days of him on the job that we get to see and he's assisted by a deputy who he ran against, who is played by John Putch, Deputy Mike Swanson. Officer friendly. And he lost the election to McCord, yeah. but isn't bitter about it at all. He's actually first to admit that he lost. Against an unqualified actor. By the will of the people. And cares so much about the community, he wants to help the new sheriff in any way he can for the good of the county. The people have spoken. I guess my eight years experience and three commendations paled in comparison to guest starring on the love boat. We could really stand to, to have some more public servants like in our current political situation. The more guys that just love being a cop so much that they're willing to not give <laughs> up on being a cop, even when they face a crushing defeat. At some point he says that he got 8% of the vote. <laughs> In 1991, that seemed really ridiculous, but nowadays it seems like totally natural, like probably would happen. <laughs> 
Yeah, we've had some high profile actors in public office now. Yeah. I mean, I guess at the time they were just coming off of Ronald Reagan. But one thing I was curious about was how plausible this scenario is. Can someone just become a sheriff? And I did a little research and I actually found a website called howtobecomeasheriff.com. <laughs> and they even have an article called How to Become a Sheriff in California. So according to this website, you have to be a U.S. citizen over 18, have a high school diploma and a GED. You might have to reside in the county. You might not. And most counties require that you have some police experience, but not all. So I'm going to say this is 100% plausible. A washed up actor could move to a rural part of California and run for sheriff and be elected. It's totally, totally plausible. Isn't there a TV show where Steven Seagal had joined a police force as a volunteer or something like that in Louisiana? Yeah, he became a sheriff's deputy in Louisiana and pretty famously sued for bulldozing through someone's house and killing their dog. Sounds about right. Okay, folks, show's over. Nothing to see here. Show's, oh my God, a horrible crash. Hey, everybody, get a load of this flaming wreckage. Come on, crowd around. <laughs> it's good work, boys. That dog ain't got <laughs> shit on me, motherfucker. I mean, the lore around Steven Seagal, that, th this whole episode could be that. <laughs> Absolutely. That and, uh, you know, uh, Shaq also pretty famously became a uh, sheriff's deputy in Louisiana. Really? You kind of got two sides of the same coin there. Is there anything that man can't? Absolutely not. He's <laughs> the absolute fucking best. The guy's the limit. I liked all the movies Brent McCord was in. And what's really cool is most of them have posters. Here's a complete list of his movies mentioned in the show. Guadalcanal Picnic, Get Al Capone, The Long So Long, Fistful of Courage, Bring Me the Head of Zorro, and my favorite, Scuba Sleuth. <laughs> I really want to see Scuba, Scuba Sleuth. Sleuth. <laughs> that is Scuba Sleuth. I'm curious if there is like an equivalent, like a real life equivalent to Scuba Sleuth. I feel like there has to be. It kind of sounds like a James Bond situation. <laughs> Thunderball takes place almost entirely underwater. I guess if any of our listeners are, can let us know what is Scuba Sleuth supposed to be a parody of? The real scuba heads. <laughs> <laughs> there were a couple of lines from his movies mentioned. One I particularly liked was, I'm going to hell. Anyone need a lift? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he sh when he shot a bazooka at someone or something. They said that was during Get Al Capone. Okay. And another one, um, I hope you're all wearing clean underwear because we aren't getting out of here alive. Yeah. So, you know, the writing is actually pretty smart <laughs> yep, as far yeah. as the, the, the jokes. They're clever, but something about it. I had fewer laughs in this than I did watching Pistol. Pete. I just didn't feel like the charm was there. It was competent. Like the show strung together just like you would expect of a laugh track sitcom of that era. Maybe it was the mood I was in. Maybe the graininess of the quality of the version I was watching. I don't know. But I I don't know if it got one laugh out of me, but maybe a smile here or there. Speaking of that, I wanted to start mentioning on the show, all of these pilots we've watched on the show so far, they're just up on YouTube. Yeah. There's usually only one copy, and I wanted to mention how long it's been sitting on YouTube without anybody caring and how many views it has. So this one's been on YouTube for three years, and it's got less than 2,000 views. Right. That seems like quite a bit, because I seem to remember uh, Nehigh P.I. like having like 50 views. Nehigh P.I. had also been up on YouTube 10 years. Oh, Lord. Uh, and it's broken up into seven pieces. Yeah, back when you had an upload limit on YouTube. Yeah, you had a 10 minute limit. So each piece is only 10 minutes and one second long. So you have to really want to watch Nehigh P.I. <laughs> I feel like I saw a couple different versions of this though that were uploaded really so the numbers might be slightly higher i'm not sure there was a very short synopsis video which is substantially better quality but i didn't see any other copies of it up maybe that's what i saw i would have loved to find one with better quality so the remarkable thing about this show is that it actually aired mm -hmm. and it received a 4.6 share on Nielsen, which was ranked 83 out of a total of 90 primetime television shows. But a 4.6 share represented 4.3 million TV homes out of a possible 93.1 million. That would be fucking phenomenal now, I believe. Right. <laughs> oh, you only had 4.3 million people watch it. And it was it was on CBS. Yeah. From 
10 30 p.m to 11 p.m on a saturday on a saturday saturday is famously a dead spot nobody watches tv on a saturday night the show would do better more on like a tuesday yeah that's what it seemed like and i guess because it did so poorly it was replaced by 48 hours in that slot but i think it's important to keep in context you think about the humor or the setup or how unfunny the show is guys what Mm -hmm. it was up against and what was doing very well in 1991 and i feel like whereas pistol pete was shot in the mid 90s 94 95 i think this is in 91 so it was really still kind of a turnover between the 80s and the 90s and the top rated shows were 60 minutes roseanne murphy brown cheers home improvement designing women full house murder she wrote major dad coach and room for two those are the top 10 so only one of those wasn't a sitcom and you've got cheers and designing women and some things that are almost kind of more 80s in their orientation sorry i also murder she wrote was in there which was not a comedy also a lot of those are more like family oriented sitcoms yeah and this is more of a workplace comedy that's true yeah it's a little more murphy brown than uh major dad (laughs) coach was a workplace drama that's true Yeah, Murphy Brown, man. People thought that was going to be like a huge syndicated hit, like it was going to go into reruns forever. And it is like virtually disappeared. Because it's so topical. Every episode was about something that Dan Quayle said or whatever, and it it was just hyper topical. Yeah, you're right. There were so many Dan Quayle jokes. The actors didn't even get the jokes half the time. So I saw that the director of this, I believe, also directed the reboot of Murphy Brown that came out a couple years ago. Yeah, it came back in 2016, I think. I was a big time Murphy Brown head as a kid, and I did not even bother watching that. Yeah, I didn't watch it either. No, I never watched it. But I did watch it as a kid. You son of a bitch! Um, I don't know much about Robert Goulet. I don't think he's known for Westerns. I don't think he was ever in a Western. He wasn't no. really known for acting. As far as I knew, he was mostly known as, as a lounge right. singer. He was a Broadway star, famous for originating the role of Sir Lancelot in Camelot. Right. Camelot. Camelot. Now say it out with love and joy. And... I think that part of the joke is that they cast him against type. Like, he's not really a Western guy. Like, he's complete opposite. He's more like a New York guy. And I think that was kind of part of the joke. Yeah, I would I would think so, for sure, now that you mention it. I didn't really have that when I was watching it, because I just kept thinking about... I knew him only as Robert Goulet, because he basically shows up on other shows being himself, mm-hmm. or just yeah. someone very loosely connected to him. I guess he was on a couple episodes of The Simpsons and some other things like that as Robert Goulet. One interesting point about that, he was on that episode of The Simpsons with the casino and Mm -hmm. (laughs) Bart books him to his treehouse. Are you sure this is the casino? I think I should call my manager. Your manager says for you to shut up! Vera said that? Jingle bells, Batman smells, Robin laid an egg. Batmobile lost its wheel and the Joker got away. Hey! Thank you. Thank you very much. Oh, I'm sorry, kid. There's a a YouTube channel uh, by a guy named Tom Scott, and he did a deep dive into that episode and how the schoolyard song has evolved. And he was able to show direct correlations between where that show aired in the world and where that song, like the evolution of that song was, because there's different uh, you know, like most schoolyard chants, there's different versions of that song. And he was able to correlate it with who had seen that episode and where it had aired and when. How the hell? How did he get the versions of the schoolyard songs? I, you know what? I don't remember. He, he's like one of those math guys on YouTube. So he has a lot of charts uh-huh. and stuff. So I would refer you to his channel because I don't remember. But it was very deep. The deputy, Mike Swanson, he directed a movie about the Mojave phone booth. Uh, that was like the only thing in his entire credits that I saw that was even slightly interesting. Have you guys ever heard of the Mojave phone booth? Yeah, it sounds, it sounds familiar. It's this phone booth out in the middle of the Mojave Desert that got really big right when the internet started getting big because people were amazed that there was a phone booth out in the middle of nowhere. People would call it, like the phone number was posted and and people would camp out 
there and answer it? That sounds familiar. Yeah, I think I remember that from a, a little show most people probably don't know about called uh, This American Life. <laughs> but it seems like it was like a passion project of his to direct this movie about the Mojave phone booth. Well, good for him. <laughs> Other than that, his resume looks pretty boring. His role on this show was fairly boring, but he was basically a plot device and the same one that the deputy served in Pistol Peak. So yeah, the deputy, he de- basically rushes behind the scenes, does everything, makes sure that everything comes together in the end, works selflessly to serve the plot. But you know i don't know he, he did okay i mean yeah like he serves his purpose he's not super funny he's pretty bland but uh i think that's what the character called for so the second half of the show there's a, a bank robber in another county and they find out that that bank robber has come into their county and the lady deputy judith captures him and mccord is like standing in the hall and the bank robber manages to sweet talk him i guess you know tell him oh i can't believe you're the real guy right he flatters him and then mccord goes in his office to get an autographed picture for him and the bank robber escapes So like the whole second half of the show is them trying to recapture this bank robber and keep the press from finding out that the stupid new sheriff has has let him go. Right. And the way that's resolved is that the deputy catches him and then gives the new sheriff, McCord, the credit for it instead of taking the credit himself. Like an absolute rube. That was his big chance to prove the voters <laughs> that they made the wrong choice. Yeah, pretty well. You'll never get anywhere doing that. This came right after he had given him this speech where he said, Mike, what am I going to tell those people out there? Well, it looks like you're going to have to tell them the truth. Right. Okay. He crawled out through a heating duct. <laughs> he ends up lying to cover up. Absolute loser move. <laughs> So I think we already mentioned that the dispatcher, Ruth Cobert, who's Helen Munson, she's the MVP. Yeah, definitely. She would have probably been my favorite character on this show. She's the only one who doesn't like Robert Goulet's character, the only one who isn't phased by him. I was in the movies, you know. Yes. I saw the beginning of one of your pictures. Yeah, she had some really good lines. I like the one, the deputy comes in and says, Helen, any news? I'm retaining water again. (laughs) (laughs) And then there's another moment at the end where like Robert Goulet is holding the newly captured robber and one of the photographers says, I'd like to get the two of you together. You're not the only one. (laughs) But she's been around for a long time. Like her earliest roles, this actress, were on Car 54 in the Patty Duke show in the early 60s. I was going to say... Some of her bit, like being on the phone and the pig squealing and shit, it reminded me of Car 54, Where Are You? Really? Yeah. I don't think I've watched that show since I was a little, little kid. Oh, me either. I don't remember it at all. Okay. But didn't they make a R-rated movie version in like the 90s? Yeah, I'm sure they did. That does sound familiar. I just remember it was on Nick at Night when I was very, very young. Yeah, it was like up with F Troop and uh the uh-huh. black and white superman show the george reeves superman the in shape guy that looks out of shape <laughs> yeah yeah in the 50s to be considered in shape you just had to be kind of fat <laughs> he's stout Ooh. he's strong he's stout and strong they shot so many episodes of that show they just shot them back to back and the actors wore the exact same wardrobe in every single show just to make it easier it probably wouldn't have mattered if they had changed especially with black and white because all the clothes back then were just burnt. They all just look gray. Another show with a lot of episodes that maybe worth drawing a comparison that that popped in my mind was the andy griffith show which is about, uh-huh. a, about a, a sheriff a lot of that show takes place in that police station you've got a larger than life sheriff you've got definitely a larger than life deputy again though a show that really benefits from its character actors which they bounce back and forth in between and this show just only i don't know had two the other deputy the diane delano deputy judith mahoney I guess she could have been a good character. Yeah. I guess she's kind of like the by the books cop, I guess. Yeah, she's like the by the books tough guy cop. Yeah. It's funny because she's a woman, I guess. But she was also a fan of Brent McCord. She has a brief appearance in one of my all-time favorite movies, Miracle Mile. I think she just plays a waitress. Is she like a tough waitress? Like She's a stewardess in that movie actually that's not the preferred term anymore excuse me a sky waitress (laughs) (laughs) when i looked up her imdb some of her roles were peppered across things from my childhood she was in that movie the river wild i think oh great movie 
where Kevin Bacon plays a psychotic river guide who wants to kill Meryl Streep's family. Yeah. She also made an appearance on Major Dad. Yeah, she was all over the place. It all comes back to Major Dad. Matlock, Doogie Hauser, Cop Rock. Oh I don't God. know what Cop Rock is. Married with children. And more recently, <laughs> apparently, she was on Pen15. <laughs> Which that that's an entertaining show. Oh, really? She's on a show that's in pre-production called COVID 2021. <laughs> Not bad. It's been a year since COVID-19 was revealed to be a hoax pandemic. So Bill Gates tries again, except this time it's personal. Are you fucking kidding me? He oh. teams up with Big Mike Obama to vaccinate. Microphone? Like M-I-C? M-I-K-E. Big Mike Obama. Oh, sounds fucking hilarious. Wait, what is fucking Obama's like insane MAGA brother? That's right. He he did have a, a brother. Yeah, he has an insane brother who's just batshit crazy on Twitter. He just like, yeah, my brother was born in Kenya. He's a Kenyan. <laughs> That's his whole bit. It's very strange. So she also has made it on some user lists on IMDb. She was on the River Wild 1994 <laughs> premiere. She was on someone else's list called the River Wild 1994 premiere. She was on best guest stars on NYPD Blue slash Hill Street Blue slash LA Law slash Philly slash Brooklyn South. That sounds like an E show. Yeah. <laughs> best actress ever and list of females v3 what on earth is that just a list of babes list of females version three coming in number four on our list mother Teresa. i don't know that we even have that much more to say about this it was not that bad it was the first one that we've watched that i truly felt robbed robbed because it wasn't bad enough <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah, definitely. There wasn't a whole lot to grab onto. It was only 22 minutes long. But also, you know, there there wasn't anybody in this show that would have gone on to do another show. Uh, John Putch was on uh, an episode of uh, Next Generation. You're kidding. No, he was on like the coming of age episode. There's a lot of coming of age episodes. <laughs> it's called coming of age. Oh, called coming of age. Oh, he's a journalist in Star Trek Generations. Let me find it real quick. So I imagine he's one of the journalists that's on the ship with uh, Captain Kirk. Oh my god, he's one of the fishmen. He's Mardok. I am not Mardok. I am Mendon. <laughs> the alien that's wearing a harmonica on his back. Yeah, I can't remember what you call those aliens, Ben's but he's one of the fishmen. Uh, and so, yeah, no wonder I didn't recognize him because he has a complete face mask. <laughs> okay, so this episode, Wesley Crusher tests for Starfleet Academy and they put him through the quote-unquote psych test. I had a feeling he might be the one coming of age. If I had to bet, I thought it might be him. It must be Wesley. They sit him in a chair in a room and tell him to wait. And then he hears an explosion and he runs out of the room and there's a guy with like a beam on him and there's like smoke coming out and he he like has to save one guy and let the other guy die. And then once he gets out, there's a guy standing there. He says, Congratulations, Mr. Crusher. You handled that particular incident very well. Not all tests are announced or but they appear to be. It's like a complete traumatic experience. Starfleet <laughs> Academy exam. The other major actor in this, other than Robert Goulet, is Art Lafleur, who's like a really famous character actor, most notably for, uh, I, I believe he's played Babe Ruth twice, but he played Babe Ruth in uh, The Sandlot. Forever. Oh. Yeah, the other sheriff, the sheriff from Marin County. That's right. He doesn't really do a whole lot. He just sort of stands there and watches Robert Glay act like an idiot. He's like a foil that doesn't do anything. <laughs> oh, when they're wondering where the guy criminal was. I missed that the first time around. I didn't catch it till the second time because the video quality is so bad. <laughs> I just assumed he was a journalist or something. I, I really kind of missed the part where he, uh, even who he was. So so maybe it wasn't that there weren't enough talented character actors in the show. It was that they were underutilized. Well, that's what I don't understand. Because like Night Court is basically all character. Like the whole cast. Plus they have this unending flow of characters coming in to the Night Court for hearings and stuff. And it's... Right. Non-stop character actor. Maybe they thought the criminals being arrested were going to fulfill that role because they do kind of give them jokes. The beginning of the show, before Robert Goulet came in, the other police had captured two guys who were stealing a car. Grand yeah. Theft Auto. A 73 Cutlass. 
Right, and their joke was, <laughs> you know, I don't think a 73 Cutlass qualifies as grand. <laughs> and then when McCord comes in, she says, I just booked him on a 499B. So, dropping trow in front of little old ladies, you perverts make me sick. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good Which, line. You know, yeah. Is, yeah, not a bad line. Good. We also didn't mention that the new Sheriff McCord is just firing his gun at everything. Well, that's one less cock crows to have to worry about. Oh, yeah. And that immediately, of course, reminded me of Pistol yeah. Pete. <laughs> yeah, I was trying to come up with a list of things that, that the two had in common. That was like the only one I could think of was the gun jokes. Reckless gunplay. They said in the Variety review that he is against the ACLU. Yeah. He did have a throwaway line about that. He did. The ACLU won't be happy till every jail has hot tubs and topless masseuses. <laughs> Yeah. So one other actor that was on here that I guess is a more established character actor was one of the first prisoners, the one who delivers the line about the Cutlass not being grand. Mm -hmm. His name is Lee Turgeson. He's been in a lot of things. He was one of the main characters on the TV show for Weird Science. Uh Oh, yeah. He was Chet, who (laughs) was played by Bill Paxton originally, right? I believe so. And he also was one of the buddies in Wayne's World, like one of the friends, I guess, Terry or something like that. One of the guys that was headbanging to um, Bohemian. And Rhapsody? I think so, yeah. Oh, is he the one that gets sick in the car? <laughs> I think you're right. I think that is him. I'm giving you a no honk guarantee. He had like long hair. Yeah. On his Lee Turgeson official website, he has a little paragraph about acting sheriff or a few a few paragraphs. Really? Yeah. He describes his performance there as Wayne's World-esque. Uh, he said, Lee's character scoffs in his Terry from Wayne's World tone. I don't think a 73 Cutlass qualifies as grand. So he was trying to channel some of that Wayne's World energy. So like they they, uh, take place in the same universe? (laughs) Oh, maybe. I don't think they ever say his name. But he had also been, in addition to those shows, a lot of other things, 124 credits, including, you know, up to recently. I guess he was on the Watchmen yeah, yeah. mini TV series from last year. Mr. Shadow. Daredevil. Tom Clancy's Jack Ryan. (laughs) He's a big streaming guy now. Oh, that's where you have to go. You can't give 4 million people watching CBS on a Saturday night. and you Get where the money is. So maybe he was underutilized as well. Yeah, I mean, obviously a running theme for, you know, these failed pilots is there's unused potential. So I feel like there was something here. Like it was at least as good as a lot of the shows that were on. It's almost like I like watching these pilots a lot of times just because it's like seeing an alternate reality that didn't happen. I, I mean, I could totally see this show going 100 episodes easy. Yeah, absolutely. Sure. It w- it was competently done. It f- had a flow to it. You got to know the characters and, and what was going on pretty quickly. Just, well, yeah, with a few more character actors bouncing things around, it, it could have carried something. I don't know. Yeah. And when I think about it being a good show that I would watch now, no, 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 absolutely not. <laughs> Is this a good show by today's standards? No. Or like our taste or, or what's current? No. But is it as good as like a random episode of Designing Women or Murphy Brown or Cheers or Coach? Or Major Dad. Ned like, Stacy. Yeah, yeah it probably as good as a random episode of Major Dad. I don't know. I think there was a lot there. And uh, it's a shame. <laughs> more people don't know who Robert Goulet is. He could be more of a household name. In the same year that this aired, he actually co-starred in The Naked Gun 2 and a half with uh, Leslie oh, Nielsen. Wow. Any final requests, Lieutenant? Yes. Can I have the gun? Oh, no fall for that he was the main bad guy the hexagon oil executive quentin Habsburg. so i don't know that he necessarily needed this i don't know i think he was doing all right showing up on random shows as robert goulet they had that parody of him doing rap music on saturday night live where will ferrell really leans (laughs) into saying the n-word that you can't find anymore oh girl that dress is so scandalous and you know another bananas you suck to the honeys getting money playing just like dummies papa you get the idea he's good as like a parody of himself or like playing a parody version 
of himself. Yeah, he seemed like a very good-natured person, like, to just play a parody of, of a guy that, I, I mean, was he even, like, lauded for, like, being, like, a lounge singer type? You know, one thing that I know about Robert Glay is that Elvis hated him. He was Elvis's least favorite singer. Yeah, he was probably pretty all right then. <laughs> Elvis had a, a tendency to shoot TVs. He loved guns. Wow. And there's a story of him like eating dinner. Robert Goulet comes on and he just shoots the TV with a gun that was sitting on the table and then went back to eating. So he had an interesting childhood, I guess, or background. He was born to French Canadian parents who were living in Massachusetts. Uh-huh working in a mill town and actually sort of similar background in that way to Jack Kerouac. But when he was an early teenager, I think maybe his dad died. I'd have to double check that. But he had to move back to Canada and he moved to Alberta. And then he grew up from 13 through early adulthood in Canada. And so something that was really notorious about him was that he botched the national anthem at a high profile boxing fight between Sonny Liston and Cassius Clay before he switched to Muhammad Ali. That's amazing. He got some of the words wrong. He said in the dawn's early night and... And he had never performed the Star Spangled Banner before that time. And he had performed the Canadian National Anthem. Some of the people in the stand started booing him and stuff. <laughs> oh, man. If I can find that, I will put that in the show. I would definitely like to hear that. <laughs> y'all heard the guy that fucked up the national anthem it's like a famous guy who wasn't really a singer (laughs) he's like oh no i'll make it up now carl lewis sings the national anthem one of the most atrocious performances ever an nba game in 1993 (laughs) so you know maybe we need to save this for our national anthem episode Our, our red, white, and blue extravaganza, big blowout, 4th of July. It's just a six-hour-long celebration. Of America. We'll actually get Carl Lewis on there, too. Was there anything else? You know, I felt like for the first 10 to 13 minutes, I was kind of like, mm-hmm. okay, I'm enjoying this. And then something happened around the 14-minute mark where I just don't remember it anymore. Like him trying to cover his own ass, the other sheriff. You don't remember that half? It just got like wildly boring. Like the last half or so of this show is just like a blur. Like it's just so much more boring than the rest of it. Like I'm on board for the first half and then something just happens. I don't know if it's a tonal shift, but it just got like so much more boring. It has a very clear two-act structure. Like, the first half, we're getting used to him, and then the second half, we're trying to figure out what to do about the bank robber. Right. It's almost like right at when the first commercial break happens. It's very clear delineation. To me, it's disappointing at that stage, too, because that's where the most interesting thing that's going on is going on off-camera, because the other police are Mm -hmm. trying to find the guy who escaped. And all Robert Goulet is doing is trying to buy time and make up excuses Mm -hmm for the reporter and the other sheriff who are there. Mm -hmm. And that's not the interesting thing. I think with Night Court, you know, we keep going back to that example. The most interesting thing is always happening in the courtroom. There's not a part where they're like, oh, you guys go off and do something interesting and we're just going to stay here and twiddle our thumbs. And then on the Andy Griffith show, which was also, you know, an example, they actually would leave the police station at that point and somewhere else if something's happening elsewhere in the town. Yeah, Yeah. go fishing. Him and his son go fishing in every episode. (laughs) I mean, they had a whole street. Mayberry is like a whole city. Sure. With like a barbershop. And uh, I don't know if they actually go into the mayor's office, but he's involved in the show. And then everybody has their own house. Yeah. I guess there's a budget issue too. I'm sure their budget on this was more constrained strained so that they they wanted to keep it on a set but they made a mistake in thinking that this police station could hold that much interest i can't think of a single show that takes place only in a police station barney miller okay like literally it is one office they never leave the office it's almost exactly the same as this set like it's a police station with a a little holding cell in the back and that's it they never leave that sounds like a bad show yeah well it was on for a very long time I think so. I think it had six or seven God, seasons. Damn. That's a lot even back then. But it's it's so cheap. You know, they never, they have one set. It had eight seasons. Well, if you're going to do that, don't allude to major plot 
things happening off camera unless you're really going to play that up or heighten it somehow yeah i, w- I would have loved to have seen the officer that we never see fred only on the phone yeah fred i would have loved to see him face down with this pig yeah he should have come like... in with a pig <laughs> absolutely right or they could have called on the radio as they were chasing down the guy i guess that would have been the journalists would have overheard it or something but yeah we, we needed more of them capturing the criminal because they just kind of show up with him at the end they're like oh yeah he went back to the hotel that he was at he should have tripped over the pig or maybe the pig should have caught him in some way tie those two plots together i mean we really could have done with two or three or four or five pigs (laughs) just running through the police station yeah how much would you have loved to see one of the officers just get bit by a pig yeah i think it this didn't need more character actors it needed more pigs yeah nobody rides a giant pig i would have loved that i i want more pigs bring it back to pistol pete like one of the reasons why that one failed was because they had too many horses. It was too expensive. Yeah, the show Luck would still be on the air if they had used <laughs> pigs instead of horses. I mean, that might have been one of the reasons why they didn't they didn't have the pig money. You got the pig insurance, <laughs> you got the pig handler. It's not just the pig. Yeah. Right, yeah, it's a big price tag. I mean, it it worked for the movie Hannibal. I think they really try to play up how boring this county is. You know, you've got this eccentric character coming to take over for a place that's really pretty mundane. So maybe that was another, you know, one of the reasons why. It's not like some quirky little backwater. It's just a really boring county where nothing exciting happens. So maybe maybe that was one of the reasons why they didn't think they needed to ever leave the station yeah there's no like local color like you know a staple uh-huh. on sitcoms is just having like the wacky resident or whatever which i guess you get at the beginning but it's the just in, wrestling you get the two criminals it's just in phone call form him telling oh yeah what's his name that he can't uh stand naked in his cornfield to scare off crows or whatever which just totally reminded me of bob newhart like it was almost like a complete parody of one one of his routines on the phone all that newhart adrenaline pumping through the veins <laughs> of this show just just infusing it with energy Getting all hyped up on new heart that man had three <laughs> successful sitcoms so pulling in some new heart energy <laughs> probably wouldn't be bad i think it only works for him though yeah he needs to be in it well why not i believe bob newhart is still alive oh yeah he could probably fund on his own a remake of Acting Sheriff starring Bob Newhart. I would totally buy him as a washed up Western actor. Absolutely. Yeah, he he's very much still alive. He's like in his late 90s and ready to get to work on his next sitcom. Yeah, that's the power of living slow like him. You know? <laughs> Just live forever. You know, yeah, they say you have a finite number of heartbeats. Every animal does before they die. So you just keep it nice and slow. Well, that's why you need a new heart. he's always got one he's always got one i've been i've been waiting for that one for years i I feel like the whole reason you brought us on here and had us watch this was to somehow work your way around to that good night everybody (laughs) so how many sacks of off-screen pig feed are you gonna give (laughs) this out of five out of five i'm gonna say three it's not great i feel like pistol pete was like almost like hidden gold like it was such a special unique quirky weird one-off thing that never happened this isn't that this doesn't have i mean it's 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 competently written it's competently acted could have gone on to make a hundred episodes but it wouldn't have broken any ground or changed anything you know there was more talent hidden in pistol pete more potential more heart better written funnier more actual australians <laughs> how many bags of of pig feed would you give it joe i'd say two and a half really the more we talk about it the more i think about it the last half is just so blah it's just so nothing i mean i liked watching robert goulet sing and dance <laughs> Well, he was fencing to the air, and then he started singing Waiting on the Levee for the Robert E. Lee, which was, I mean, I don't know, worth the price of admission. (laughs) Sheriff, what exactly is going on here? (sighs) All right. All right. I'll be straight with you. You know, in this life, there's only one sure thing. Death and taxes. (laughs) And mistakes. And if I've learned anything in my 30-some-odd years on this planet... (laughs) 
is that it takes courage to own up to those mistakes. Sheriff, are you the trying? The kind of courage shown by our forefathers at Valley Forge, by our four brothers at Iwo Jima, the kind of courage it takes to look down the barrels of those Tommingers and say, all right, Capone, this is Jolie, and you ain't seen nothing yet because I'm waiting on the levee. Oh, waiting on the I think I would just rather watch the episode of The Simpsons instead that he's on. And I would also give this 2.5 bags. And I that was the answer in my head before I heard it from Joe. Yeah, amen to that. I think to the current generation, they probably would just know him as the guy that was on The Simpsons one time. That's pretty much his legacy. I wonder if he'll... Well, actually, yeah, he did pass away. We didn't mention that. Yeah, 2007. So he won't be coming back for the Beetlejuice movie, which I think, yeah, they're, they're going to come out with a new Beetlejuice movie. Is it really? Beetlejuice Goes Hawaiian? I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> that's the script that's been kicking around Hollywood since the first one was released. The Deeds is by a hotel in Hawaii. Of course, they're not going to get what's his name, Jim Jeffries. Jim Jeffries. What was his name? Wait, the oh, the Australian comedian. No, the, 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 the who was in uh, Beetlejuice. Oh, Jeffrey Jones. Yeah, uh, yeah, our guy from the last episode who is big time fur pedophile and looks like it. Ba, 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 big time pedophile. He's not coming back. Catherine O'Hara might come back. He might come back. He had a small resurgence for a little bit. I saw him in a couple of things, like after he was released from prison. Oh God. He was in Ravenous. He was great in that. We'll get Winona Ryder, and I don't know who else could play Beetlejuice other than Michael Keaton. Yeah, nobody. I think he's got to be coming back. I mean, that's there's no other way. Yeah, a return yeah. to his comedic roots has been like a long time coming, and I feel like it almost happened with Birdman, which was such a fucking boring movie. I, I liked Birdman. Did you? I did. I hated it. I hated it. It was so weird and so... Uh, there was just so many things going on that I thought were really funny and interesting. Like, I think a lot of people wrote it off because they believed that it was pretentious. Mm. And I think it was, but I also think it was trying to make a comment on that. The over-pretentiousness of, you know, actors and Broadway and all of that. I think it was making fun of that. What was weird to me was I never saw anybody make a joke about the fact that Michael Keaton played Birdman, and then he was in the Spider-Man movie playing the Vulture. Like, he was literally playing Birdman again. I felt like there was a nod to that in the Spider-Man movie. I was waiting on it. I never saw it. Oh, fuck. I'm not going to rewatch it, but I feel like it was there. Well, I guess our listeners, maybe they can write in and tell us if they uh, had a nod to that in the first Spider-Man movie. <laughs> I felt like his casting was a little bit of a nod to that, even though he was a villain. I feel like he just kind of had a resurgence in the last couple of years. Yeah. He is great. He deserves it. He's great. <laughs> I, I hope they remake fucking Multiplicity. Oh, no. That movie is terrible. I don't know what you're talking about. I have probably seen that movie like 10 times, by the way. Uh, like, I don't know. I just like, I guess I just don't really like movies where people are like openly lying to their wives. <laughs> <laughs> As a wife that's been lied to, I just don't appreciate that that particular formula <laughs> that's a little too offensive <laughs> all of his clones sleep with his wife he lies about it i mean he she they basically like <laughs> raped her <laughs> like she she thought that she was sleeping with her husband and she was sleeping with clones well wow. even though like the the one that was mentally retarded well that that's not the appropriate term <laughs> well the she touched my pet base Steve. what do you what would you say uh, the one that was uh uh, had a, had issues the, Men the, mentally disabled mentally disabled now i don't know if i'm using the right neurodivergent um uh cellular uh of mentally drift? <laughs> retarded no that that was the that's where we started <laughs> but yeah yeah i mean it's okay to say that because it's a clone okay. it's not a real person yeah he doesn't have a soul do you remember <laughs> uh this is an early internet callback uh do you remember hard blog yeah that sounds familiar no it was a special education teacher who had a blog. And I mean, you know, it's just venting about your job, which everyone deserves to be able to do. Mm -hmm. Just like chronicling his adventures, teaching the mentally disabled. Oh, yeah, I imagine that would get old. Well, I mean, when I was 14, 15, I thought it was the funniest fucking thing in the world. <laughs> 
<laughs> that and Maddox. Oh god. Oh god. <laughs> yeah, I liked Maddox. I liked Larry the Cable Guy. I liked. Um, <laughs> I wouldn't admit to well, there's that. There's nothing wrong with Larry the Cable Guy. Did um, radio bits where he would call in. They would air them on the radio station out of Tulsa, and then I think they also <laughs> he had them on the internet. Yeah, he had a website where you could listen to the bits, I guess. And it was before he was on TV and and famous. In our last Damn. podcast, Paul Rubens was in it, and we were talking about Pee Wee, and I think we had said that Larry the Cable Guy is like the closest thing we have now yeah to someone who has this persona that they just are you know like when they are in a movie like yeah in the 90s we had a lot of those and now we don't like that that's kind of a thing that's just sort of dried up and and that kind of humor doesn't exist anymore yeah i guess when we were kids we had at the very least two huge ones yeah which were peewee and Ernest. yeah but they were also, you know, mainstream uh, movies like Ace Ventura, uh, Austin Powers, Mr. Bean. You know, it was just like yeah. very common. And like that has just completely gone away. Like we don't have that. The closest thing I would say would be Larry the Cable Guy and then maybe Medea. Yeah, I was going to say that too. <laughs> oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't even think about that. Because Medea is like the equivalent to Ernest now. Because it's just the same fucking thing. Medea goes to jail. <laughs> Medea, Medea scared stupid, or you know, Medea fucking Halloween, whatever. <laughs> Medea scared stupid. <laughs> I, <laughs> I think that the ancient poem says we need to use me at on the goblin demons for hell. Medea saves Christmas. <laughs> I would watch a shot for shot remake of Ernest Scared Stupid with Medea instead of Ernest. Uh -huh. <laughs> I would. Let's make it happen. Let's call Tyler Perry. Let's do it. Apparently he ain't doing much. I saw a tweet from him today or yesterday where he was like, oh. he's sleeping on his pile of money. Whatever. I basically to sum it up, he's just very lonely, even though he's wildly famous and incredibly wealthy. He's like insanely rich. Wasn't he talking about making a Medea airline or something? Or was that a dream that I had? I think that is is one of the highest grossing franchises. Gotta be. Like consistently, like it's one of those movies that makes the most every year. Like whenever a media comes out. Like it's not a thing that you hear about. It's not a thing anybody ever talks about. Well, it's not a thing that we hear or talk about for a very specific reason, Stuart. <laughs> okay, good point. Yeah. It's religious. <laughs> That's why. <laughs>